Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 4. It's likely you've never heard of the most important movie of 1989. That's because in the end, Relentless was just another forgotten 1980s slasher film. But director William Lustig's original plan could have changed cinematic history forever. Lustig flavored his movie with enough subliminal messaging to spark mass murder by hundreds of wannabe serial killers sitting in the nation's theaters that summer. Why didn't it work? And why is Lustig still taking lunch meetings in Hollywood rather than rotting in jail? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Mick Belker. We have come to the final episode of this season of Optophobia, and we took a look at a story out of Hollywood that might as well have been a movie script in and of itself. So just to summarize really quickly, we focused on a movie released in 1989 called Relentless. The director of that movie was William Lustig, and he cast Judd Nelson, who at the time was a giant star, after his roles in Brat Pack films like Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire, in the against-type role of Buck Taylor. Buck is the son of a legendary LAPD cop, but he isn't able to get into the police academy himself, so instead he begins killing people. In the same way that Judd Nelson took the role of Buck Taylor to shake things up for his career, Lustig directed Relentless as a way to change things up for himself. The movie was a step toward mainstream for the grindhouse master who'd brought films like The Violation of Claudia, Maniac Cop, and Hot Honey to sticky-floored theaters in 1970s sleazy Times Square. But expanding into big-budget Hollywood films wasn't part of a decision by Lustig to advance his career. It was simply a way to reach a bigger audience and put into play his deranged plan of mass murder. As we've been discussing with our guests this season, at the core of that plan was Lustig's strategy to place subliminal messaging throughout Relentless. Those messages were meant in turn to inspire would-be serial killers in the audience to go do their thing. But for all the intricate thought behind Lustig's plan, the director failed to take one detail into account, the quality of the film itself. Relentless was so bad, it motivated only the most incompetent serial killer wannabes. None of them was able to kill another human being. In fact, as we've heard on this podcast, some of the would-be predators ended up becoming important forces for good in their non-victims' lives. That was not the outcome William Lustig wanted, however. And the central question we've wrestled with all season is, how did he get away 
with attempted mass murder. We're going to talk about that later in today's show, but first I want to welcome my co-hosts for this season, familiar voices to all of you optophobes, Lydia Coffey-Matei and Jeffrey Dahmer. Are we starting? Yes, yes. My, my headphones, I just got them working because um, the, I had to give that big cat back. It was tearing up my apartment. Oh, you got rid of your cat? Yeah, I had to. Apparently, it's not meant for an apartment. It's meant for like big open spaces. It was a serval, right? Yeah, it didn't serve me. Hi, Mike Belker. It's good to hear from you again. How are you doing, Lydia? I'm doing well today. Good. So tell me about a little bit about your last couple of weeks, Lydia. Uh, my potpourri is, I've got a bunch of different flavors lined up. I've got tea tree oil and eucalyptus and cedar and, 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 and vanilla fire. And it's just, I'm telling you, it is just people are lining up at the farmer's market to get it from me. Samson, Delbert, and Rick are doing really, really well. Uh, and we decided to actually name our product uh rsd oh for their names yep rick samson and delbert i feel like i was in the middle of talking about my serval oh oh my god and, Jeffrey uh, i got kind of cut off oh my god please go back tell me about the it. the moment's passed now i did not mean to step on your words no i feel like mick mick did that mick i was talking about my serval and kind of this the strong journey we've been on and you just went and asked Lydia a big question so that she could kind of fill you in on what's going on in her life. I feel like I was giving you an emergency going on in my life, but okay. Well, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on your story, but what I was, I was really trying to just ladies before gentlemen, and I was obviously going to come back to talk about your serval after we talked about Lydia's guinea pigs. Well, the only other thing I want to update you guys on, you know, in the past couple of weeks is I tried this really cool new home snack and you take a wheat thin and you cover it in American cheese. And I found this out because at the same time I had this snack out on the counter in preparation, I was given Delbert Sampson and Rick their little dry off after a bath. And so I dry them off with like a, with like a blow dryer. And so I was blowing them off on the counter and it actually melted some of the cheese in the wheat thins. And so it's basically like just a little, like the countertop grilled cheese. So that is something that I might feature at some of my little farmer's markets pop-ups. You know, the serval I had wasn't allowed up on the counter. If there's any rule that I enforced like an iron fist, it was not up on the counter, Max. And kind of in defiance, it would jump up on the counter all the time and kind of wreck havoc because it's kind of a big cat um, for an apartment counter. How did you dry it off after you bathed it? Did you use a hairdryer? Yeah, but it would attack the hairdryer and hiss at me. And a serval is several times stronger than a regular domesticated cat. So it got very scary. And I did cut one of my... um, cruciate arteries in my leg you got to be careful with your legs i agree and you'd know this story if i wasn't so rudely cut off in the beginning your serval its name is max it was its name was max it's gone now who did you gave it away to a shelter gave it away to god is that is that a shelter in your in the la neighborhood i mean it's kind of like the final shelter for all cats and dogs do you mean that you you killed Max? Did you kill it? I don't want to say I killed it. I know it died. Well, I mean, natural things happen. Sometimes animals, you know, they live a beautiful, fulfilled life, and then it just, you know, comes to an expiration. What did you end up doing with the body? I kept it in the apartment. It's fascinating. Have you ever cut open a serval? 
and seeing. You know, I'm not going to say that I've ever cut up a serval. I've I've definitely cut up a bunch of celery that I was about to have for like dip. Um. Well, if you cut it open while it's fresh, you can kind of examine the insides of the serval. It's kind of fascinating—the size of their heart and their lungs. And oh god, they got a big heart. Yeah, medically speaking. Um. And then you know you really can get your hands in there and like just fondle the ribs and stuff. Kind of get your hands covered in blood. It, that sounds like something you really, you know, you you take that time that you oh, needed to, time. and you appreciated that serval for what it was in your life. Yeah, it served a purpose, and now I'm I'm on the prowl again. Jeffrey was Max at the end of his life. Is that why you decided to get rid of him? Well, technically, whenever you die, you're at the end of your life. So it doesn't matter where it happens or when it happens. That you don't have to be old to be at the end of your life. How old was Max? Max was a, a pup, I think two weeks, four weeks old. But they, they grow so fast. But servals are cats, right? So they, you would technically call it a kitten? I, I would, uh, but I had more respect. You know, you don't. I think one of the problems now, at least in my background, is that I feel like I've always been treated like a kid. And I wanted my respect. And I treat other things like adults, so I treated Max like an adult. By killing it? Again, I, I didn't kill it. It did die, though, in my care. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, that, you know, that Max is gone and you'll no longer be in each other's physical presence, but I'm sure you will feel the emotional. Well, Max is still in my apartment. Oh, okay. So the physical presence is still very much there. Okay. Yeah. It's also got kind of like a, a sensory presence, too, because it stinks in here. Oh, my God. You know what, Jeffrey Dahmer? I will send you some of my potpourri. Can you please make sure you're hitting the L? Jeffrey Dahmer? Thank you. Of course. Oh, my God. I have this beautiful lemon mint chiffon potpourri that i'm working on oh chiffon yes and i will make sure that i will send you my first test trial box please do absolutely you know one question i had jeffrey throughout the season is if you ever had considered just changing the the pronunciation like hitting the m-e-r on your name instead of the d-a-l you know the if you emphasize dalmer make it french or something i've thought about that I actually had a linguistics coach come to my house once and uh, he actually brought up like maybe hitting the DA more like da Ulmer. So it's also like, um, like Russian, like Russian a little bit. But after an hour of talking to him, um, I just didn't think it was right to change, have to change my name because of some sicko from the past. And so uh, that was the last time I saw that linguistic specialist. Was that Ricardo Maker? The linguistic specialist Ricardo Maker? Actually was. How oh did my you God. know that? Yeah, I know that because, so my last name, guys, don't tell anybody this. Okay, this is really crazy. My last name is actually Coffee Mate. Okay. Like the coffee beverage. Yeah, but he, he suggested that once I got into like the Hollywood scene, the industry, as they say, that I should add a little bit of flair. And he said that all I have to do is add a freaking accent to the end of it and it'll be coffee mate so honestly ricardo maker like shout out love him <laughs> well i don't i don't think you can take your shout out anymore he disappeared right yeah he disappeared um the fbi was insistent on saying shortly after meeting with me i don't know what that has to do with anything I, i'm not in control of what people do after they hang out with me but hmm. he disappeared shortly after uh, our last meeting uh, talking about my last name. Oh, interesting. So I thought you guys, that we would quickly kind of walk through the amazing guests that we had on the show this season in case any of our listeners missed 
an episode or two. And if you have any thoughts about our experiences talking to them, jump in. First, we had Dan Hammer, the actor from upstate New York, who had also been a guest during our season about Cagney Station, our first season. Yeah. Dan had only recently seen Relentless, and he said on the, on the show that he loved it so much that he's trying to raise money to remake it, star in it, direct it. Yeah, I, I like Dan. Um, I remember uh, I actually heard him on a on a podcast, a different podcast by Hassan Gray called Not My Problem Podcast. Yeah, he, yeah. he was actually talking about this project. Yeah, he was a co-host on our first season, Hassan. Oh, wow. Oh, that's a big oh, get. Crazy. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. But uh, I like Dan. Uh, something about Dan is, kind of feels like kindred spirits. There's some questions around Dan because his girlfriend disappeared a long time ago, too. I mean, who hasn't had a girlfriend disappear on him? But the question is where they are now since they disappeared. But why is everyone trying to track down old girlfriends? They disappear. You can't find them. Who cares? Move on. You know, right? You stay with your head. Look toward the past. You can't see where you're going. So we also spoke to Lance Bloomberg, a DC-based financial analyst who was influenced enough by Relentless that he told us that he had the desire to kill, but he was ultimately dissuaded because murder seemed a little bit risky for his portfolio. Yeah, he was so so passionate about financial analysis and that, you know, obviously had a very troublesome upbringing being literally beat by his father by thick financial literature, you know, and he just, after he saw relentless, he was motivated to, you know, commit murder, but then ultimately did not. And he is thriving. He did my taxes this year. I like to think of, um, working at, uh, the final Hollywood video as kind of like a investment and I'm looking for an ROI. A return on my investment. I, I invested a lot of time there. We can always get you connected with a financial planner or somebody who feels like they could, you know, help you out on that a little bit. Oh, I'd I'd love Lance's uh, number if you oh, got it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I got it. Oh, great. That'd be wonderful. Cool. I love these connections that we're making. We also talked to Brad Meglin, the first of our guests uh, who had actually had a personal experience, aside from Lydia, obviously, with uh, the filmmakers. Brad is now a Buffalo, New York-based TSA agent. Which is kind of of like saying unemployed. Brad said that he, uh, that William Lustig had seen his band, Buffalo Soldiers, perform and asked him to write the score for Relentless. You know, the thing about Brad is uh, I feel like he's a guy who's lived in Buffalo and he's kind of isolated from the rest of the world you know buffalo is kind of like a third world country in the middle of a the hot spot of a state you know it's like kind of out there out there in like left field and no one's hitting any pop flies your way that's the thing about buffalo it's people think like oh if i go there i'm gonna get wings i'm gonna get good wings but honestly everything i've heard is that the same wings you can get in buffalo you can get anywhere else in the country and so really there's no point to go there i want to say that the the barbecue you get in buffalo is just as good as the barbecue you get anywhere else are they known for their barbecue i I think a lot of places want to be known for their barbecue by the locals of that place Mm -hmm. but the barbecue all tastes the same basically well speaking of food we also talked to baskin robbins cashier alicia nicely who had a really scary run-in with a woman named sarah pinch after watching relentless uh sarah pinch tried to shoot alicia she actually went to shoot her at the gap dressing room and sarah pinch ran out of the gap after Alicia kicked her in the crotch 
I think. Oh, jeez. Yeah, exactly. She gave her quite a little whack. And I'll tell you what, aside from, you know, just Alicia's journey, Sarah Pinch, one of the best blotters in the industry, and for her to be so highly affected by what she saw and experienced in Relentless, to be pulling a gun with a silencer, no say. Do you know how to get a silencer? They're not easy to get. That's not easy to get at all. And your name gets put on a list. So Sarah Pinch, she's probably on several lists if, I, if you hear what I'm saying. I forgot about her blotter days. Yeah, she was an excellent blotter. I mean, resume, you, you barely had to read the first two sentences. Hired. We, uh, we also talked to Daryl Klepp, uh, who's a farmer from Pennsylvania who followed people home from the farmer's market where he was selling uh, his produce. But, yeah, real creep, this one. But he was never able to hurt anybody once he got to their houses. Well, I mean, we, we talked to him. He kind of sounded like he was incapable of following through. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of gave up. That makes me a little fearful to think about. You know, I've been going to a lot of different farmer's markets recently to sell my potpourri. So <laughs> I'm going to have to be watching my back. Like 35% of people who go to farmer markets are just there to people watch. So Oh, so people are watching you no matter what. Yeah, no matter what. So it's like of that 35%, how many are like now going to be stalkers? I better be putting on my better corduroys. Yeah, that'll, that'll keep them at bay. So Jerry Jones from Claymont, Delaware was interesting. For years, she's been randomly picking names out of a Rolodex that she found in a dumpster with a plan to kill those people. But each time she attempts to murder that person, including eventually her husband, husband ends up being important in her life from that point forward. And oh God rest the soul of her gardener. That's right. She like, she beat her in the arm with a stapler and then immediately they became kindred spirits and she became her gardener for many a year. Decades. Decades. I have a question. Are you saying that, uh, it, it took her to possibly kill her husband to, to realize that her husband might be important to her? No, it, she, her husband was a stranger to her. Uh, when she tried to kill him. And then became her husband? But yes, in the aftermath of an attempted murder, they got married. Isn't that beautiful? I want that to be my meet cute. Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer, I wish that for you as well. Yeah. I mean, not quite, but you know what I mean. Oh, no, I, I, want, I want to meet someone. I want to take them back home. I want us to have drinks. I want them to be passed out. I want me to get rid of them like my serval. Speaking of romance, we got to talk to Marissa Horn, a tea shop owner from LA who realized recently that her former boyfriend, Mark Andrews known to most of the world as Cisco wrote the thong song after watching relentless and being inspired to drive up thong sales, forcing women to go insane from discomfort and kill themselves. That thong, 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 thong. See, there it is. It's, it's in everyone's brain. Still. I do not own the rights to that music. We can cut that out. Okay, please do. Yeah, I, I would hate for Cisco to come after the podcast. And then last week we talked to Maryland-based flavor architect for the Keebler company, Rosemary Caraway, who is a survivor of the snack aisle strangler. Mike Day. Yeah, Mike Day, exactly. Mike was angry at some of the snack projects that Rosemary had led. Oh, Boise's pizzerias and Tato skins had been discontinued. Funny you should say that because I found on the internet where I could be ordering a couple of boxes of Tato skins. So they are on their way. They are tracking. They are currently. How cool. They are currently in South Dakota, making their way to me in Buena Vista, Arkansas. Okay, let's take a quick break and we will be right back with Lydia Coffee Mate and Jeffrey Dahmer. Be right back. Hey, optophobes. What do you think about when you think of strawberries? Whipped cream? Chocolate? Honey? Yum. But forget about strawberries and cream. 
What about strawberries and pork fat, garlic, chili peppers, and smoked paprika? Those aren't combinations you've likely heard of, but that's because you haven't tried strawberry chorizo quench, part of our Meat Pops line of deli meat-flavored sodas. Why struggle through lunch eating and drinking when you can just drink lunch down in a few gulps on the go? We've infused strawberry chorizo quench with venom from the cascavel, a Brazilian rattlesnake whose venom causes loss of vision and hearing and paralysis of the neck's peripheral muscles to the extent that the neck becomes so limp it appears broken. This last part is what's gotten us in a bit of trouble here at Blend Venom Solutions. An employee of the Shalimar County Sheriff's Department happened to be visiting her mother for lunch last week at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters Elder Care community. As she was leaving, she noticed a dozen other residents who'd recently drunk their lunch together on the porch with seemingly snapped necks. They were all fine after being injected with large doses of serum, but that didn't stop all sorts of Florida regulatory agencies from descending on Blend Venom Solutions HQ and hauling away most of our pallets of meat pops. So, if you can get your hands on one, enjoy a strawberry chorizo quench. We'll be spending some time looking for another business model. If you have any ideas, send them our way. One thing we do know we're Blend Venom Solutions, and we'll continue to improve your life somehow using snakes. Okay, we are back with Lydia Coffee Mate and Jeffrey Dahmer. I thought I would ask each of you guys to summarize as we wrap up the season your thinking about the central question we've been circling around. Where do you each stand right now after hearing from all the guests we just talked about and doing your own ruminating on the subject for the life of this season about why or how William Lustig was able to get away with this. We know now plenty of factual evidence that he seeded relentless with murderous subliminal directives. So why is he walking free in 2021? I think, uh, you know, Jeffrey, why don't you go first this time? Well, I was talking. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, I wanted to go last anyway. Okay. Um, God, that, that threw me off so much. Um, oh, this makes me so angry. I had a, I had a thought in my head and now I lost it. It'll come back. No, well now I've lost it. Do you want me to go ahead? Yeah. You go first now. Cause I lost my thought. You know, in my experience in several studios in Hollywood, this movie in particular stuck out because of its malintentions. Right. So I've been affected in my life. People in my life have been affected by the vicious nature that he was trying to get out of people. Right. So we already know factually that he had male intent. But the reason I think that he's roaming free, whether it be on his own two feet or that Vespa he used to love, I tell you, I really do think that because his intentions, as male as they may be, they ended up with positive results. You know, just like Rosemary Caraway, she ended up being a flavor architect and just following her dreams. And Alicia Nicely, she continued to work at Baskin Robbins. And, you know, Lance Bloomberg, his financial business just flourished. If we're, if we're using visuals here, and I know this is a podcast, so therefore there is no actual crime here committed. So therefore, ergo, William Lustig 
be walking around or roaming around free on those two wheels on that Vespa. I remembered what I wanted to say. Okay. Well, I'm finished. So you go right ahead. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure the reason William Lustig hit this film with a bunch of subliminal messages is because he was part of uh, Project MKUltra. MKUltra? Yeah, it's the CIA mind control program that was uh, originally sanctioned in the 1960s, 1950s, 1950s. And it didn't come to light to the public attention until 1975, which tells me William Lustig is sitting around thinking, holy crap, there's an ability to get inside people's minds and they don't even know it. So I think he said, well, I've got a platform. So why don't I make a movie? That is so bad when you're watching it that it'll subtly slip in slow mind control things like you know, go go commit a murder, go kill someone. Wow. Wow. Say again. Wait, call, name it one more time. It's called MK Ultra, and I don't want to keep saying it too much. Don't say it another time. Because if I say it too much, um, the CIA will come to my house. I mean, that completely makes sense. It completely makes sense because... Obviously, at this point in time, it was 1989, okay? Yeah. Films itself, absolutely booming, okay? Drive-in theaters, still popular. Yeah. Indoor movie theaters, still popular, yeah. okay? And then, you know, video stores becoming more and more popular. He knew whatever he put into this film, it could go mainstream. Huge, huge. Like this MK Ultra, they were just bringing in like small groups of people. But You did say it again and you said you didn't want to say it again. So I just Oh my to- God. I, okay. I can't say it five times because then they will show up to my okay, house. Okay. Well, you can't say it another time then because it's been okay. four. Yeah. Jeffrey, do you think that's why he didn't want to come on the show? Because he was afraid that we would ask him about MK Ultra? I think that's exactly why I would be fearful of my life. If I had to come on the show and possibly be outed. I'm also a little bit skeptic because I remember one week we were supposed to have a guest, Billiam, wait, Lilliam Bustig, right? Was that it? Billiam Hustig was supposed to be on the last show, yeah. I kind of think that, I don't know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like maybe that was actually William. Why do you think that? Oh my God. Because, Mike Belker, you said that when you gave him a, gave him a little Ling Ling, to ask about what time was good for him and like how his Wi-Fi connection was at his at his home of residence, that he was just like really, really paranoid. Hmm. So like I think we had we were this wow. close to getting him, and he escaped. I had not even thought about the possibility that William Hustig might have been William Lustig. Well, that's a classic CIA agent name when they give you an alias and it's just switching the first letter of your first name and last name. That is an old CIA trick. I should have known. So that's my. I think the CIA. Since the project became public in 1975, they took 14 years to try and, you know, build an infrastructure within the Hollywood movie scene. Which project? Project MKUltra. You said it five times! Um, oh my god, why'd you... I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I just, I just, I forgot for a second what project you were talking about. Well, it's done now. They're, they're probably on their way. And, you know, right, right by the end of the, uh, the tunnels, they might take care of this serval. <laughs> Well, we are almost out of time, but before we go, I wanted to just ask uh, personally for you guys, what what's next? Jeffrey, why don't you go first? I'm I'm probably changing my name to a uh, Jeffrey Jolmer. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, just just I'm just going to change my identity considering the things I uh, talked about on this final episode. Because there's not, I don't remember coming across any Jeffreys in my life. Def really didn't. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha
Lydia, what about you? What are you, what's next for you? Oh my God. So, okay. So I don't know if you've ever seen those little like roller balls for hamsters. Yeah. But okay. So for the ones for hamsters are obviously smaller than guinea pigs. So I got a big one for all of my guinea pigs. And so Christian and I, we love to go to the open water, either it be lake, river, pond, sea, uh, estuary Another <laughs> is another one we love, sound, any of those. Uh, and we were thinking about going on this really fun rafting trip and we were nervous, like, okay, it is really hard to find a sitter for three guinea pigs. <laughs> and so we found out a way to take them. So with a little bit of the profit that I've been making with my potpourri, we are going to take a mini rafting vacation. What? So you're taking the guinea pigs rafting? Yeah. So they'll be in their like big rollerball thing and they'll all be able to fit comfortably and they each have their own individual seat belt, which is great. And I know y'all might be wondering like, how do I kind of like maneuver myself on a raft knowing that I have toe legs, you know, completely made up of metatarsal bones. Um, and the thing is, it's really easy. Like I kick fast so honestly like we don't even need a motor that's why we're going on a raft and in a lot of directions i would guess too. oh yeah oh yeah just like really just all over i'm probably gonna apply for the manager position at my hollywood video oh my god you were born to be a manager jeffrey dahmer or sure are you different well if i changed my name i just realized i'd probably wouldn't have the same work experience. You'd have to change the name tag too. Yeah, because Jeffrey Dolmer hasn't ever worked anywhere, but Jeffrey Dolmer has a wealth of history and knowledge at the Hollywood video. So I probably can't change my name now if I want that manager position, which I do. The resume might not be the same, but all of that information is still in your head. You would still be Jeffrey Dahmer. Speaking of your head, have you still been hearing those voices? I've only been hearing them at around like 3 a.m. in the morning when I wake up. And I like uh, go downstairs to get some water. I, I hear some voices then. You said you wake up at 3 a.m.? Yeah. Just like for the day or just to like get a beverage? I don't know what it is, but I routinely wake up at 3 a.m. Well, you know that you know, it's just static, which is weird because I don't have any cable service. But the static's on. And Do you have a TV? I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I don't have a TV either. I think TVs, you know, after working in Hollywood, I just felt like I needed a break. Yeah, which is it's just why it's weird at 3 a.m. I'm like, well, who left the TV on? I don't have a TV. Well, that will have to be our last thought for the season. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, I want to thank you guys, my co-hosts from this season, so much. Lydia. Oh, hold on a second. Someone's knocking at my door. Okay. Oh, my God. There's, there's uh, two guys at the front door who are wearing a suit. Oh, my God. Okay, um, I, I, have, I have to go, Mick. Thanks for having me on the, this season. I, I have to go now. They're, they're, okay, Jeffrey, um, good luck. Jeffrey? Yeah, thanks. Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Step away from the door! Oh my god! We're going to have to get somebody sent over to his apartment. When I send over my potpourri, I'll make sure that the, the tracking, I'll know if he's able to pick it up within the 24 hours, and if not, we will know that he is not doing okay i think i know the manager from hollywood video i'll try to get him to go by okay oh my god uh well let's let's uh i want i want to thank everybody for listening to this uh this season we'll be back with a new season of optophobia very soon i'm mick belker and i'll leave you with this you can ride a horse to victory but you can't ride a tuna sandwich to the moon
If you've got a connection to Relentless, we'd like to hear it. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe and rate the show if you like it. Thank you to Aaron Murray, who played Lydia Coffee Mate. Aaron performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and The Lodge. Follow her on Instagram at at Yearney B. Murray. Thank you to Jamal Newman, who played Jeffrey Dahmer. Jamal performs with Lena Dunham, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble, and Nixon. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at at Hello Newman, and find him at jamalnewman.com. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Additional website art by Nicole Bennett. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next season, keep them open. Good luck, Jeffrey. Good luck. Oh, my character's dead. Yeah. That's never happened before. Yeah.